0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our
1: relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 3, 26 through 4, 7. We're not going to go through that many verses today, but there's a lot of important information in here. The last time the sermon was titled, The Law's Purpose. Very, very important. If you weren't here last Sunday, get it free off the internet. Um, Even today, Christians who know the Lord have questions. Well, what about the Ten Commandments? Well, I know that was the Old Testament. How does that fit in with me today? So if you didn't get it, We answer all those questions for you. The law is very important to understand how it is a mirror to us to bring us to salvation, and I use demonstration items and stuff to really bring the point home. Uh, Today, the title is Unity and Maturity, and the Apostle Paul is going to continue to make this airtight case that we get saved by grace, by the grace of God, which is a gift, and the vehicle... To receive that gift is our faith in Christ and what he did on the cross. So the Apostle Paul, as we continue through this theological discussion, he's going to use the unity argument, and he's also going to use the air, the monarchical, or the maturity argument. And if you're new to the faith or new to the word, don't worry, I will slow down, and I will try to make it very digestible for you. You know, Jesus Christ came, God in the flesh, to die for our sins he spoke about how to be saved you know the apostles peter the apostles paul they continue to take the teachings of jesus by the inspiration of the holy spirit and strengthen us so that we know why we believe what we believe the apostle paul lays down in greek the word is apologia remember the new testament was written in largely koine greek which was the language that even though the romans conquered the greeks they retained a lot of their culture and language And it was amazing how God used this secular situation to spread the gospel all throughout the known world, all the way, we have recording all the way to India with the disciple Thomas. So pretty impressive stuff. So he's going to use this apologia. Now, we get the word apologetics from, but don't confuse it with the word apology We don't apologize for our faith, but this is, um, if you're being pressed about something and you're being asked questions, you can answer those questions. That's that apologia. It's a thought-out, it's a courtroom-style defense to express why you believe what you believe. Um, And the way I'm going to kind of run this in these next few Sundays and the previous Sundays is, okay, how many people have seen the movie years ago, The Karate Kid?, Okay, so pretty much everybody. <laughs> and if you remember, Daniel's getting picked on by bullies, and he goes to this older uh, martial artist, and he asks him, I need to learn how to defend myself. So Daniel, Daniel-san spends <laughs> weeks, you know, sanding his floor and painting his fence, and, and he gets, after some time goes by, he confronts the sensei, and he's furious with him. He goes, I, I'm, gonna, I'm getting beat up every day. And all I've done here is fix your place. So Mr. Miyagi says, daniel son, show me paint the fence. And he goes to hit him and daniel son goes, Whoosh. and then he goes, Whoosh. right? And it's on the floor. And he shows him that he used these, these techniques that in the real world, he now he learns because he, he's done them so many times, he learns how to defend himself. So, Pastor Joe, what the heck does that have to do <laughs> with Galatians 3 and 4? I'll tell you. <laughs> My job, and this is what you get in a teaching church. A lot of churches today have become entertainment industries. They look no different than Hollywood. But when you come to a teaching church, one day when you're asked or you're pressed why you believe what you believe, or somebody is sickly and they're looking for hope, and they don't want to just believe some fairy tale, when they go to ask you and they press you, you have an apologia. So what happens is as you're in a teaching church, months, years go by, and then you're asked a question, and there's nobody around to help you except the Holy Spirit, and now you start to answer, and you start to make a good case for why we believe in God. It's not a fairy tale. It's intelligible. It's articulable, okay? So that's what I intend on doing, and I hope that I can successfully do it, but let's jump in. So we were in Galatians 3. We didn't finish Galatians 3. Uh, where we're going to leave off is verse thirty, uh, Galatians 3, verse 26. The Apostle Paul says, "...for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus." And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. And we spoke about the promise that God made through Abraham, that through his line he would bring the Messiah. And the Messiah would be fully God and fully man. So the Apostle Paul desires to stress this oneness aspect. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning, one of two, is unity. And he uses some examples. Now, Roman society was a huge society. It wasn't like we could look at France or we could look at Germany or the United States. The Roman Empire was a vast stretch of land that today encompass probably we could say dozens of countries at its height. Roman society was at one point as divided as is American society. And this is so palpable today. As we look in the news and we look at, the media loves to tear us apart. It loves to put us in these camps, to divide us. We look in the mirror and say, I look different from that person. I have different foods, different culture, we're different. And so we get in all, you know, America was supposed to be a melting pot. And the media is helping to destroy this nation by dividing us. So I really believe that this is going to be useful in our own lives. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if you're a Christian, you need to understand what unity is. The Holy Spirit brings unity being in the body of Christ brings unity. So he uses these two analogies that really stress this oneness. And you know, when we go through life, we go through life horizontally and we go through life vertically. And vertically is a picture of our relationship with God. And here a lot of people say, "I have my own relationship with God. I love God and I worship God in my own way." But the Bible tells us that if that's the case and you don't love people, then you really don't understand your relationship with God. Because if we're to really love God, Jesus says to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes we get hung up on that part because we're all a bunch of sinners playing in the same sandbox, and it becomes difficult at times. But he he calls us to love. He calls us to unite. So the first thing we look at, he says, to be baptized, right? As many of you were baptized into Christ. So the first example is to be baptized. Now, we're not talking about literal water baptism. We're talking about... But he capitalizes on that word baptizo in the Greek, which means to fully immerse. Baptism was never supposed to be a sprinkling here and a sprinkling there. Baptism is immersion. Okay, That Greek word that we get and we bring it into the English, we translate it, is a full immersion. So he says in in a, a figurative sense, but truly... Are we baptized into Christ? And it doesn't mean that we become part of a religion or we check the the box, I went to church on Sunday, or I served because I'm really a better Christian because I served. No. Do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And the answer is, are we in or are we out? Just like if you're baptized, if you're immersed, you're either in, immersed, under, or you're out. You're one of the two. I want to read Romans 6, 3 through 5, if I may. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says, when writing to the Romans, he says, Therefore we were buried with him, meaning Christ, through baptism into his death. Again, it's a a figurative, it's a spiritual analogy, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We identify with Christ. The second example he uses to put on Christ, so he speaks about being baptized, he also speaks about have put on Christ. It's a small verse, it's a small phrase, but it has a lot of power. In Roman society, when you were a child, you would wear the the clothing of children. Uh, In Roman society you would, and again, it, it doesn't mean Paul's calling us to be Romans, what he did was, he, like Jesus did, he, he used the analogies. He said, look what's going on over there. Now let me make an analogy for you. So in Roman society, if you were a child, you wore these just children's kind of clothes, casual, etc. But when you became an adult, they had a coming-of-age party, and you would be given the Roman toga you hear a lot of things about toga this and toga that but truly there was a roman toga of the adult citizen and you would put that on and it was a, it would be an accomplishment it would show that you're your maturity you would integrate into the adulthood into roman society so he uses that example about putting on christ again like a garment we either put christ on we either have him on or we don't have him on it's like going out of the house half-dressed and your, your clothes are kind of falling and you're tripping over them. You either have it on or you don't have it on. Okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, Paul said, as the, as the body is one and has many members. Again, now he's using an analogy of a human body. Okay? My body is one. But my hand is different than my foot, which is different from my knees, which is different from my hallux joint, which is going to get operated on. I'm going to put some screws in there, so I'm not going to, going to be a little bit of a hybrid. But the point is that, you know, my body is still one. It's still Joe DiProsimo, okay? Uh, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not one member but many but many so it's pretty neat there so again just to right off the bat unity in Christ baptized into Christ and he also speaks about putting on Christ now this is interesting because if you look at revelation 3 and revelation 19 the saints wear the same garments spiritual garments you know, it is It is cool. I mean, listen, I, I love it when people come into church and everybody looks different, you know, and, and we, we, sometimes some of us want to stand out, some of us want to blend in, but in heaven, the one who stands out is God. And we all wear the same garment. So whether we're talking about Revelation 3 or Revelation 19, whenever you look at the saints, in a future time, you look at the scripture, they look the same. They're in harmony with each other. And i got to tell you, it, it grates against our flesh as human beings. But when we come together at a church, we have to look at each other equally. We can't do what the media is doing. We can't do what the world is doing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, All these people are looking to start all these divisions and, and just keep fracturing this country. And I have to tell you, if it keeps going the way it is, the United States is going to be a byword. And hopefully... The secular world can look at the church, and sadly enough, they don't always see it. And they say, well, you guys, there's a unity there. How do you do it? Why do you do it? I want to know more about that. Hopefully we can teach the secular world. Again, we don't always do a good job of it in the church. I'm going to admit that. But that's the goal here according to the Scripture. Right? So if we're all of Abraham's seed spiritually, and that was the antecedent, that's what we read the last time, uh, and of Christ, then we have unity. So we continue on in Galatians 3, 28 through 29. I'll read that again. Now, this is interesting. You can't look at American culture. You've got to take yourself back 2,000 years. What was the Apostle Paul looking at? What was the analogies he was making? He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Some of us say, well, I don't even know what that is. There's neither slave nor free. We don't have slavery anymore. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're of Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, this is a pragmatic application of what unity looks like. Context, we all become one. So let's look at this in the scope of the Roman Empire. Number one, there's neither Jew nor Greek. See, back in those days, society would be divided up. Oh, you're a Jew. Oh, you're a Greek. Or you're monotheistic. Oh, you're polytheistic. So there would be these schisms. Jew, you would see male, males who were Jews, and you would assume that they were circumcised. You would see those that weren't Jews and assume that they weren't. Uh, you could see that in Greek culture there was, and Roman culture, there was a lot of lasciviousness. However, if you were an observant Jew, you would see piety, piousness. So this is amazing. Through Jesus Christ, through the church, Jews and Greeks become one. They're worshiping together in the same church. And you wonder why, under Roman persecution, uh, under these horrific emperors, and how they tortured these these Christians and took their children and threw them in the Colosseums, why did Christianity spread? Because it was the power of God. And in Roman society, they were watching this stuff, and they were not understanding how the Christians kept multiplying. And they wanted to be like them. And I submit to you, when the church goes through persecution, the church becomes purified when you start to look at the church, we, we do away with some of the silliness that we have in Western Christianity. We start to unite. And, you know, I believe persecution is, is coming to the church. And it's probably going to be a good thing for the church. Was it Justin Martyr said that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. So two, neither slaves nor free. Again, we only read about slavery in our history books. Although, if you go overseas it still exists. And, and this is the dirty little secret that I think the UN and a lot of organizations don't want to deal with. Slavery exists today in the world, and it's horrible, and it's big money, and everybody's looking a blind eye. We dealt with it, but they're not dealing with it. However, in the Roman Empire, again, at one point, half the empire was in slavery. So check this out. A free person was free. A slave was a piece of property. And the Romans looked at the church, and they saw free people and slaves worshiping together. And the free people treating the slaves as they were their brothers. They elevated them because, yes, in society, hey, the Dred Scott decision in the United States, it was a bad decision, said the same thing. You could own a person, okay? It was wrong. Just because men are on the Supreme Court or women or in Congress or the presidency doesn't mean that they're right. I think we know that. But in the Roman Empire, the Roman society said, how is this that slaves and free are breaking bread together? And yes, legally, there was still this horrific bondage on the slaves, but the church helped to free them and make them equal with the others. And, and the world looked at it and, said, and some said it was weird, worshiping side by side. But that's what Christian unity does. That's the goal. Neither male nor female, he says. Again, very unlike our society, women did not have the rights that women have in the United States today. Uh, Women would often not be allowed to worship with men. They couldn't uh, attend certain clubs and, and civics events. There was a segregation between men and women. And God brought them together as one. And they started worshiping together, and the world saw that. These are a lot of reasons why Christianity grew under times of persecution. The Roman Empire tried to stamp it out, but they couldn't stamp it out. You know, let me just say this about men and women. If you've been in a relationship or you've been married more than a week, the light bulb goes off and you realize that men and women are very different. And I'm not gonna follow that with a joke. okay? <laughs> so, you know, um, Christ is the glue. You know, my wife and I are both very accomplished, very headstrong, uh, could use another few adjectives. We first got married, we were brand new Christians, and we were struggling, you know? Not only were we different, but we were also sinners. And we needed a, an older Christian couple to come into our, our life and show us what it was like to be married, what it was to care for each other, what it was to be unselfish. Uh, and Christ was the glue that held that marriage together. And now we've been blessed other people and and help them through marital difficulties. Now, I will say this. I had a young man around 30, a few years back, came to me and he goes, my marriage has fallen apart. I really want you to counsel us. And I said, okay. He goes, but you can't use God. I said, not okay. (laughs) I said, because you don't understand. God is a big part of what's going to bring the two of you together. It's amazing. And I talked about the quicksand example last Sunday, how people can be up, their hands are sticking out. Their head is sticking out. And you throw them a rope. Well, it says God on it. I don't want that rope. I'll wait for the next one, and they're sinking. And I never did get to counsel that couple because he was adamant. He didn't want God to be a part of it. And honestly, I wasn't being mean. I couldn't do it without God being a part of it. Now, I'm going to go. I'm going to go there uh, about division in the church, and and I think that. As a as church in, in Western society, we have to get away from making everybody feel good and talk about some real issues that are divisive and that are in society and it start to infect the church. There still remains purposeful division in the church, in the Western church. And I say purposeful. Sometimes you're in a neighborhood and it's all the same immigrants or the same people and they're, they're in the church. They'd love to have people that come in you know, some diversity, but it's just where they live. It's it's just concentration of that. Um, but there is purposeful division, be it racial, ethnic, denominational, political, you know. I, I remember as a new Christian, and I'm an I'm observer by nature, sometimes I just sit and watch, I watch people, I observe. And I was sitting on a bench at a Christian, huge Christian retreat center, and there was about three or four different churches, and they were very different in many ways. One was our One was the church that I belonged to. I wasn't a pastor back then. And I just watched how it was so cliquish. And it was was almost like an unwritten rule that the different churches and denominations and ethnic groups didn't mix. And I looked at that and I was curious and I was sad at the same time. But when you really are beholden to Jesus Christ, when you really are serious about your faith, you don't let that take over you. You know what I'm saying? You don't let that happen. Uh, I came across a comment, couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself, and again, you can see division in a lot of different ways. Uh, Dr. Lloyd Earls, speaking about himself, he's an African-American evangelist slash missionary. He said on the subject, quote, he goes, there is no such thing as the black church or the white church or any other type of church. Jesus said church, not Churches. He continues, we will probably never extinguish the separation of worship by different ethnic groups, but we have no right to misname the church of our Lord. I love that. I read that. I like, couldn't have said that better myself. I agree with him. It's the church. We're one body, one spirit, one savior, one God. Important to understand that. If you see things in your community or your clique that are going on, you may get a check in your spirit and say, this is wrong. Why do we do this? because we need to always go back to the Bible to find out the truth. Again, whether it's in the Roman Empire or today, people from the outside world should be able to watch us come and go, worship together and say, scratch their heads and say, why do they do that? And how do they do that? That's interesting. I want to check that place out. Right? Jesus said that the outside world would know us. Hey, listen. How are we going to love the world if we can't even love each other in the church? And Jesus said, you know, love God. In the church, love each other. Love your neighbor. But how do we love our neighbor if we can't get along in the same building? So that's important to look at. I have to say that division politics, I hate. And I don't say that very often from the pulpit. I think it's the lowest of the low. Where politicians go out and they, instead of saying, how can we help all Americans they start segregating people. Well, I'm going to go to you guys first in your group, and then I'm going to go to your group next, and I'm going to break in the fabric of our country. Let it not be so in the church of God. In Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel brought division of mankind. Right? And there's been division ever since the Tower of Babel. However, at the cross, all those divisions are healed, bringing a unity or a oneness. Warren Wiersbe, I admire him a lot um, in his book, Be Free, about the subject, page 87. He said this, he said, this does not mean that our race, political status, or sex is changed at conversion, but it does mean that these things are of no value. Now on the other extreme, he said, or of no handicap. So in the church, divisions that we have when we look at ourselves should not Help us and it should not hurt us. I've heard the expression the ground at the the ground at the foot of the cross is all level. He says, so it's of no value or no handicap when it comes to our spiritual relationship to God through Christ. He said God in his grace has declared all to be on the same level that he might have mercy on all. Warren Wearsby. Verse 29, last part, he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So if I trace my lineage, I don't go back to Abraham, but spiritually it does. Faith in Christ, faith in the the Messiah, faith in the line that God set forth, I now become a son of Abraham. That's a great verse. It connects the unity in the previous to what it means to be an heir in the latter in the next seven verses I'm going to go through. So we are one in Christ, children of God, under the seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. And I've heard the expression, God has many children but no grandchildren, right? He deals with us all on a father-son, father-daughter relationship, okay? It's a good thing. Okay, going into chapter 4, starting with verse 1, he says, now I say that the heir, again, looking in Roman society, he made an observation, the heir as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So the heir in, in, a, in a sense of royalty. Um, it's a family of, of some power or some authority here. Uh, but is under guardians, remember the heir, the child, right? the, the royal child, but is under gardens, uh, guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So this is the second argument that we're going to cover for the morning, is the heir the monarchical, um, or the maturity argument. So the heir. He was a a child of wealth, of status, but he had few rights. He actually had as many or as little rights as the slave in the house because of his immature age. However, when the child grew to maturity, he had authority over the entire kingdom. This was a night and day transformation. And the Apostle Paul is making the analogy to when we are going on in the world and then when we come to Christ. And he continues in verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So he makes this comparison. The child heir is anyone prior to Christ. The adult uh, monarch is the person who has Christ. Okay. So verse 3, he says that we were in bondage under the elements of the world, the basic principles of the world. The basic principles... Um, if you go back to the first century, the people who he was talking to, they, they got it. They were under the law. Okay. Um, it, today, it's very different. And, and I'm going to throw this out there and say that today, let's talk about today because you know, if I'm throwing all this stuff about Roman society and you leave here and you don't know what to do with what, what you read, it's, it's meaningless. I will tell you that today, someone in bondage under religion and someone in bondage under atheism, they're equal. Now remember, the Galatians were, had come to Christ. They were mature in Christ, or they, they were mature spiritually in that they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The false teachers were coming in, and I'll make the comparison. They were making them follow all these rules of the law and rites and rituals. Today, it would be the same thing as somebody saying to you, well, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to be part of our church. You have to sign this, this rule book or the book of order, and you have to follow these rules. You have to follow these rites and rituals. Remember, nothing can be added to the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sins. It would be insulting to him. Only Jesus could have done for us what nobody else, what we couldn't have done for ourselves. When you're saved by grace, that's it. And some, again, it's too good to be true. It actually is too good to be true, but it is true. Okay? So, in a sense, the person, and I'm not cutting on anybody, the person who's an atheist, they're not saved from their sins. And a lot of people who are atheists come to Christ. As a matter of fact, I can name some famous ones who fought Christianity until they actually did the research and then became Christians. I think Lee Strobel was one of them. There's a few of them. I have some books in my office. Um, the religionist, though, today relying on a religion, relying on a central figure, a man, relying on an organization is not going to get us entrance into the kingdom. And sometimes the religionist has more loyalty to their religion and their denomination than they do to Jesus Christ. Careful of that one. You know, when you get to the, you know, at the end of your life and you stand before the Lord, I belong to this denomination. Like I said, it's not a gym membership card where you just scan it and they let you in. That's not the way heaven is. You have to be covered into the blood of Jesus. So four, the fullness of the time had come. So when it was God's timing, we talk a lot about God's timing. Sometimes we don't like God's timing. But God had this timing when he was going to send his son into the world, and then he was going to send his Savior to die for the sins of the past, present, and the future. Okay. He was what? Number one, born of a woman. We covered that last Sunday in Genesis 3.15. Jesus was born under the law. Christ was the only one who could keep the law. No one can keep the law. The law is just a mirror to show us that we're flawed and that we are sinners. Uh, Christ came, he said, not to destroy the law but to fulfill it. Hence, last Sunday's message, the law and you, I should have uh, uh, titled it. How does the law affect me? Well, let's talk about that. What does the Bible say? matthew five seventeen jeremiah thirty one thirty one through thirty four Jesus showed how he came to fulfill the law, but he didn't come to destroy the law. It's still wrong to murder. It's still long, wrong to lie about people. But thankfully, the law doesn't condemn us anymore. Christ has saved us. So all the blemishes and the failures and the you know Maybe Satan holds that against you, or in your quiet time, you torture yourself and say, I don't belong in church with those wonderful people. I'm a bad person. Okay, those, that's wrong. Christ, what he's done for us on the cross, God, is, God doesn't put it in our face. It's never to be brought up again if we really trust in Jesus. It's an awesome thing. It's very freeing. Uh, he, Verse 5, he, was re, he came to redeem those who were under the law, which is really everyone in the human race. Last Sunday, we again, the law showed us our flawed spiritual state. Um, it showed us that we're in bondage. So this whole thing, w- w- wait, we were slaves? Yes, we were slaves to our own sin. I'm just going to speak from example. 23, 24, I came to Christ. I didn't know it back then. That's the funny thing. Bondage is, is a very surreptitious, is a very deceptive thing. I thought I was fine, because I wore a cross around my neck. And, and it was weird. I mean, sometimes I, I would get concerned or whatever and i'd I'd hold the cross like an amulet like a charm it didn't it doesn't do anything for me it's just a piece of gold i don't wear it anymore and i don't listen people wear the cross that's awesome decorations that's great but i know why i wore it and i wasn't saved now i am saved i have a relationship with the lord i don't need to do those things but i can tell you looking back i was under bondage to to my sins and, and I could say, well, gee, I was an upstanding citizen. I never killed anybody. I never committed burglary. I never committed the big crimes. But the law condemned me. Okay? So the Lord redeemed us, purchased us to set us free. We talked about that also last Sunday. That we might receive the adoption as sons or his children. See, we're born into the flesh. We're born into a fallen world. Psalm 2 tells us that this world system is poised against God. The United Nations doesn't sit around saying, how can we solve poverty? How can we solve this and that? Well, let's bring Jesus Christ into it. They don't do that. Okay? Um, Maybe that happened in our country some ways back, but that's being sanitized too. You find me any country, they're not doing that. They're not saying, how can we use biblical principles? How can we love people? How can we help people? How can we make them equal? They're not doing that. Psalm 2 says it's just going to get worse. The ante is just going to be upped until the Antichrist comes and he's pretty much going to take over. So we're adopted by God. All these terms. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Joe, we're adopted? Well, number one, we're not like God. We're not God. We're his creation. So he needs to adopt us, right? Through Christ, we're adopted as his children. So we're redeemed from sin slavery, Okay? We're then set free, then we're adopted in that order. That's pretty powerful. And again, today, um, you know, you do see it to some extent, but back then, when you adopted somebody, say you were a man and you adopted, or woman, you adopted um, a child. When you died, they got everything of yours. It was no question. There were no civil lawsuits. Well, I'm gonna fight this. That was it. So this is a very powerful statement. When God adopted us into His family, we have all the rights as His children. It's an amazing thing. So that's, there's the encouragement in that in that part of the message. Verse six: And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into your hearts to cry out, "Abba, Father." The benefits as adopted children. Second Corinthians one twenty-two: God seals us with the Holy Spirit. So a part of God is always with us. He's always um, helping us, he's always, and, and again, the Bible says that we can ignore that and do our own thing in the flesh, but God is always there for us, you know, to, to make us God successful. And his spirit cries out Abba, which is, can be translated Daddy, it can also be translated Papa, you know, Father, Father, Mother. These terms the Bible specifically uses because it's more Relational. It's more um, loving. It's more, you know, you know what I'm saying. Why does the Spirit do that? Because the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, because He shows us that we can do the same thing. In Romans 8.15 through 17, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Look at these terms. Going through this world, going through our, um, even our culture, bondage. People are in bondage to a lot of things. Sometimes we put ourselves under bondage. I have to tell you, I was not saved, but I was somewhat in bondage to a religion that told me to do all these things and I couldn't do it, so I just walked away. In bondage again to fear. The world produces fear, but God produces love, right? And, and it's kind of like the sliding scale. The more fear you have, the less you're abiding in his love. The more you abide in his love, the fear starts to assuage. It starts to subside. Okay? Pretty impressive. So he says, You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God's spirit. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We're trichotomous beings, we are flesh. You can see the flesh, the hands, the face, the hair. We are psyche, we are mind, and we are also spirit. And this is an amazing thing, this communication between God and us. Sometimes he does it on a level that we're not always completely aware of. You get that sense, you get that warning. And then you find out in hindsight, that was God that protected me from that. Boy, that was a strong feeling I got. God's trying to, you know, he works with us, he loves us. So the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, we're going to be in heaven and all the blessings of of eternity, we're going to be heirs of. It's going to be ours. God wants to share it with us. God is a relational God. That's an amazing thing. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. And we do as Christians we're not going to maybe get that promotion. We're, we're not going to maybe have the same group of friends because we start to kind of go in a different way. And, and they, they think, oh, you're too good for us, and you don't want to do this with us. So, you know, in the Roman Empire, it wasn't like America, you know, so people make fun of you. In the Roman Empire, you, you get killed. You know, so a real big difference. Christian in the Roman Empire, Christian today in the United States. Honestly, it's not that bad for us, okay? Christian in Iran, uh, Christian in... in North Sudan, I can go on. There's dozens of countries that Christianity is illegal, and they will kill you. And they will kill your family. Okay? However, something that's waiting for us is so much more potent, so much more powerful, so much more lasting. When the Roman Empire, who's afraid of Diocletian anymore? Anybody? Emperor Diocletian? Anybody afraid of the Emperor Nero? Guy's been gone for thousands of years. But Christians were terrified of him. God eventually took him out and judged him. And actually, Pastor Vinny, uh, you know, I do a lot of history, and, and I just love when I can learn something new. Pastor Vinny did a study of, on all the Roman emperors that persecuted the church and how they died young, how God took them out, uh, because they were horrible, you know? Where are they? But where, where's, where's the Apostle Paul? Where's the Apostle Peter? They're in glory. It's good stuff. Okay, verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This sums it up. The false teachers were trying to get the Galatians who were saved by grace to come to a maturity in the law and in religion. But true maturity was trusting in Christ as Lord and Savior for salvation. Then walking with him, that's it. At this church, we're not going to put a burden on you. You want to come to this church? Great. What do I have to do, Pastor Joe? Um, Come. What do I have to sign? Nothing. Nothing. What do I have to give? Whatever you want. Oh, you're not making this easy, Pastor Joe. But that's just, that's how we roll in this church. We're not going to put, we're not, listen, there's enough bondage in the world. You're not going to come into this place and we're going to put more stuff on you. You want to come? Come. I always say you, you get what you put in. It's like, it's like any investment. You know, you want to give? Give. It's up to you. You know, do what the Bible tells you to do. So we're not going to do that to you. As the title of today's message indicates, unity and maturity, being saved by grace, the final and ultimate step of life, a true walk with God brings an amazing number one unity. And it's not just vertically, it's horizontally. Right? God doesn't ask us to do the easy things, he asks us to do the right things. Okay? So hopefully, if we, as we start to mature in Christ, we become more unified with other people. Uh, it also brings us to uh, spiritual true, true spiritual to maturity and completion, right when we know the Word of God, it unlocks the mysteries of life, it unlocks the mysteries of the Old Testament, it unlocks the mysteries of God and His word, and also eternity you know, i have and there 's another thing people have all these traditions, and you shouldn 't do this. People say, well, you should never write in your Bible, it's a sacred book. Let me tell you something. I got highlighters, I got sticky tabs, I got arrows, blue ink, red ink, all over the place. Because I want to know this book. It isn't the pages that are important, it's what God wrote that we've written down on the pages. You know, somebody, um, it was a, I don't know, you have all these things on social media, says that uh, a person who's... uh, See, I should write this down, right? All right, let me try this again. <clears throat> A person whose Bible is falling apart, their life is not. Okay, I, I messed it up, but you get the point, okay? The Apostle Paul showing the Galatians the danger of trusting in anything under, on, other than Christ, and the same applies today. And I just want to encourage you. You know, it's funny, because as I was um, doing the, the, the message and the eulogy for Bob uh, yesterday, the, you know, there's always, I always like to talk to the people from the funeral homes because they're so, they can become so hardened by death. They see it every day. It's what they do for a living. And I just made a call out to the ones that were really wonderful people that came and also the emergency service workers. If you're a police officer or you saw combat in the military, what can happen is you can start to become desensitized. But that's coming for all of us. What are we going to do at the end? My job, I, listen, people can leave here today irritated, bothered by what I said. I don't really care. Because my job is to get you to think, is to get you to, to take down your defenses, not for me, but for God. Open up your heart. Let him come into your life. He's good. I get it. You know, my father wasn't perfect, and he did some, some awful things, you know, in, 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 and, but God's different. He's not my earthly father. You see what I'm saying? This is God we're talking about. Take down your defenses. Take down the hardness. Take down the jadedness. Because He wants to come in and He wants to love you. And the fact that He wants to love you is the fact that He's not forcing it on you. Think about that. God doesn't force Himself on anyone. It's your choice. He's gentle. So, listen, if you are going through life and you want to climb the highest mountain and stand at the top of the peak, when you go through... God's word, spiritually, you're on the top of the peak. That's it. There's no higher peak. There's nothing more to climb. Anyone seeking come to be completed, perfected, matured. There's nothing else to seek after this. It's God's word. He's got all the answers. Come to a place where the creator of the universe invites you into his family and call him daddy. What could possibly be any better than that?
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.